Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC 279. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a deposit match up to $100. Paul here, Cody on the line. I was 37 seconds away from coming away with some money last week, Cody. I had the gone round four, gone round five. Ty really hung in tough, really proud of him. But, like, you saw that there's, like, levels to this game. It's like, you can be a power puncher or you can be, like, an accredited Muay Thai specialist. And Gon really picked him apart. Ty did actually knock him around a little bit and got some, uh, you know, uh, Ty hit him harder than we've ever seen Cyril Gon ever hit. The chin still held up, but he was knocked down very briefly. Um, 37 seconds, but that's, you know, especially when you're playing the long, long, long props, like I usually play here. Um, that's just kind of the game that you just, you accept that that's, you know, the variance in it, but so close, so close losing night for me. Um, how did it go for you last week? Terrible week for me last week. Uh, goddamn Michael Figlack. Like I, and I mentioned on the show, you don't put a debuting guy in your top ticket, but then as I'm making the tickets, it's like, there's nobody else that I would want at the top, you know? So, uh, you know, also you need someone who's like less than a two to one favorite because you've got them parlayed with gone. Who's a six to one favorite. So, you know, it's all about trying to get that balance. But, uh, this week I'm looking forward to, cause at this point I'm on a bad run, but I need to figure out for my own personal know all. Is it a bad run or am I straight up cursed? And this is a perfect main event to find that out, Paul, because if for whatever reason Nate Diaz beats Kamzat Chumayev, you can officially put me in the category of downright cursed. I, I hear that. I mean, here's the thing. and like, Who am I? Like, you've hit so many of these PRPs in the past, but it's like when you have Hamzat Chumayev as a minus 1,800 favor taking on <laughs> Nate Diaz, who can be had for plus 900. I don't know if you want to, like really anchor yourself all that much i know it's an, a way to hedge yourself out of it and all of that type of stuff but like minus 1800 is minus 1800 it's a really really tough situation like it's a it's a spot where it's just like what is hamza chamayev even adding to those parlays that's really <laughs> it oh i forgot to mention off of the top john kelly is doing a uh, a live chat right here on mayo media network at uh, 2 p.m eastern time so make sure you check in, check out that. He'll have all of your prize picks questions, other DFS sites questions, gambling questions. He'll probably, I mean, the weigh-ins will probably have happened at that point. Yeah, yes, they will. So he'll be able to answer any questions that you had about the weigh-ins and, and all that good stuff. John's a good guy, really sharp guy, and a, um, a great host. So uh, definitely check that out. 2 p.m. Eastern Time, Mayo Media Network. But yeah, Cody, like mine is 1800s on in parlays it's like it's adding nothing to your adding nothing to like your final product so it's like you know me i'm 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 more likely to be paying the the plus 1800s than the minus 1800s i'm just i'm always a, i'm a dog hunter at heart yeah and honestly i kind of want to where my real intrigue at is how much pay-per-view buys does this card do because i'll be honest with you this is a god-awful card i mean for mm -hmm. a pay-per-view offering this is a terrible card but i think there's so much like Oh, Nate Diaz is a big star because he beat Conor McGregor five years ago. And Kamzat Jemai is the fake gangster. Everybody likes him right now. So, I mean, may maybe these two guys are going to sell this entire pay-per-view. 
I uh, I find it hard to believe. Listen, he's almost a 20 to 1 favorite in the main event. So how much interest is there? I don't know. I really don't know. Jing Lang Lee versus Tony Ferguson. Ferguson clearly on his last leg. So how much interest is there? I, I really don't know. The rest of the card just sharply falls apart. And again, this is a pay-per-view offering. So for me, I don't know, man. Like, uh, yeah, it's not exactly the most intriguing main event going, but uh, the rest of the card kind of fails as well. Of course, if we can hit tickets, hit some right plays, then we're going to be very happy about that. But yeah, I mean, where I, I want to know how many people are paying money to watch Kamzat Shmaya versus Nate Diaz and the rest of this supporting cast. Yeah, it's... Uh... I don't know. It's very, uh, Nate Diaz does have a massive cult following. That's why you know Jake to, Paul. To Jake see Paul's, him, to see Jake him Paul's get wrecked. Calling him out. People want to see him get wrecked. That's where the following is. I mean, like people he, think... he'd do good if he fought Jake Paul because it's Jake Paul. If he fought Logan Paul, great because it's Logan Paul. He conceivably beats those guys. He could, I guess, it's MMA. Of course, he could beat Kamzat Chimaev, but I don't know, man. I just find that there's like less and less interest. Keep in mind this, okay? Before he fought Conor McGregor, he had fought Michael Johnson. And Dana White is on record saying this guy is not a needle mover. As in, nobody gives a shit about Nate Diaz. They care about Nick Diaz, his brother, but no one really cares about Nate. He's got a damn near 500 record. For the record, this dude's got more losses than Kamzat Shumayev has pro fights. It's not a good look. But he beats Conor McGregor in a crazy fight that McGregor took on a week's notice and moved up to 170 pounds for. And that is basically the only relevance that he's brought to these later stages of his career. Fan favorite, who doesn't love the Diaz brothers? Who doesn't love Nate Diaz? I'm saying for the casual fan, it's one. it was one moment. He beat Conor McGregor. Then they ran it back and he lost. Then he fought George Masvidal and it was a very, very poor performance. And then Leon probably looks better in hindsight because he dropped him in the fifth round. But up until then, he's just going through the motions. Is he a 55er? Is he a 170? Does he want out of the UFC? Does he even care about this fight? Do you think he's going into this fight saying, I'm going to go out on my shield and fight a hard 25 minutes? Or do you think he's saying, I'm going to go in this fight so I can get out of my UFC contract and go do what I want to do? What are the chances the fight starts and Nate Diaz just taps out? Or that Nate Diaz just walks out the door? Because you have to guarantee him his show money. Wouldn't that be the best way to say F you to the UFC? Oh, yeah. Goodbye now. My contract's over. Nothing you can do about it. Like, I don't know, man. This is a farcical fight, in my opinion. Of course, yeah. It's like Chimaev is minus 400 inside the distance. His props, like Nate Diaz obviously has great jiu-jitsu, so like minus or plus 260 can be had Chimaev by decision or uh, by submission, but or him by KO is like minus 150. Like it's basically this fight comes down to if you really want to bet it, are you betting the over one and a half or the or the under? One and a half rounds. Um, yeah, minus I think you one, take minus the over. Yeah, Nate's all really, day. really tough. All day. On prize picks, I will say that Chemayev's takedowns is set to, um, sorry, is set to one point five takedowns. Right. I feel like Chemayev is probably gonna if it gets into round two. It's like I feel like Chemayev is going to get at least one takedown every single round. Like, I think if Chamayev takes him down, Nate's not getting back up. And then you're kind of at the mercy of the referee and whether, you know, he gets mounted and pounded away. And if the ref steps in and stops it. But, like, you know, over one and a half is, is already juiced to minus 165. So people think that this is probably going to get close to the second round or get, get close to the third round um, in this spot. So I think on prize picks... I've already added to a bunch of tickets. Chamayev over one and a half takedowns. Like, I think that's how I'm getting some money into this fight. But otherwise, I mean, we're completely priced out of it. Unless you're just, 
you know, a YOLO guy and want to take the plus 900. It's like, I don't even think Nate Diaz wins one out of 10 times against Hamza Chimaev, to be perfectly honest. Like, don't forget, Nate Diaz is a former 155-pounder. Um, Chimaev is going to be way bigger, way stronger. going to be able to take him down. Should be able... Like, it's not going to be like Burns. People are like, oh, well, he was scared to take down Burns. Like, Burns is like, you know, a world-class ADCC champion in jujitsu it's like Nate Diaz has like a nice triangle and stuff but it's like it's not gonna work against Chimaev um yeah the, the prize picks over one and a half takedowns is really the only thing that I've that I've got on this fight yeah listen I mean if I was looking for a path of victory because if they fight 10 times like I don't know I suppose I could see Nate Diaz winning one of them it would be considered a fluke for sure but uh the biggest the biggest concern I think if you're looking at ways for Chamayev to lose this fight is the five rounds right the guys smashed so many guys in a round that it was like oh yeah he'll just do that to everybody then when he ran into Gilbert at least that was the first time that I was like oh maybe he is human maybe he does have cardio issues by the third round they're both gassed out good thing for him Gilbert Burns not exactly known for his cardio because uh yeah I mean Gilbert was tired as well and the fight kind of got sluggish, but it was just a 15-minute fight. Now it's a 25-minute fight. So Nate Diaz has been into those later rounds. Of course, his one moment against Leon Edwards was in the fifth when he took on some deeper waters. And I suppose it's not inconceivable to think that if Chimaev burnt himself out in the first 15, 20 minutes, maybe he's tired, maybe he's sloppy, maybe he makes a mistake. That's when Nate Diaz would capitalize. But I think the best thing for Kamzat Chimaev was, was fighting Gilbert Burns in a relatively competitive fight because then it would cause you to be like, man... I'm not invincible. I'm not superhuman. Everybody just feeds the guy's ego all the time. Oh, he'll smash everybody. Smash, smash, smash. 170, 185, smash, smash. It's just like it got to just be a novelty. It's a meme. It's just like nobody actually cares about how good he is. It's like more of a persona, which is fine. But uh, now he just tries to carry that persona. He wants to be that guy. He's And he's made a lot of stupid-ass comments this week, being like, well, I hope me and Nate Diaz brawl at the press conference. Like, what are you talking about, man? You're fighting on Saturday. You're 20 to one favorite over an undersized veteran of the game who clearly just wants out of his contract. And so we're going to brawl at the press conference. Then, then the, the thing with Paulo Costa, like you're getting ready for a fight at 170 pounds this weekend. Paulo Costa just fought probably in that cage. Jake Shields apparently said he was about 220 pounds. Uh, you're not going to fight him. You're not going to fight him. It's all for the cameras. I'm going to go over and talk some shit as I'm walking away. Like it, it's all just lights, camera, action. This is your boy because you were a huge Khabib guy. And when Khabib left, it was like, who's going to take the mantle? Islam Makachev. And then you said right off the bat, Kamzat Shemayev. Every fight that Kamzat Shemayev's had in the UFC, you've been on him, you've backed him. Uh, whereas everybody else, I would consider everybody else a bandwagon jumper. You are conducting the actual wagon. You are well, driving that you. wagon, Paul. But but it's like the persona blush. to me is what, yeah, skill is one thing. You like the guy because he's got his ability to take you down. He has that video of him at All-Stars in Sweden where he drops Alexander Gustafsson with a body kick. The guy's got good striking. He's shown a little bit in the UFC. He's shown some power. He's shown some resilience. He's shown all these great things. I get it. You like him because of skill set, but... The guy's in his own head, man. He just think he he's he, he thinks he's Russian Conor McGregor, or at least maybe he's trying to be Russian Conor McGregor. I would go as far as to say that Khabib has no respect for Kamzat Chimaev. Not his kind of guy, right? Not his kind of guy. The big mouth, loud, uh, bodacious, getting in fights with people on the streets, hanging out with Darren Till, who's just a mischievous bum, really. At the end of the day, like maybe not skill wise, but personality wise. 
I don't know. I don't know. He's going to be his own worst enemy. He beats Nick Diaz. I don't think anybody's, you know, disagreeing with that one. But uh, but like going further, like to be a guy that's going to go undefeated for an entire career, like you'd have to be real serious. And this guy seems like he's way more show than he is actual substance. So, yeah, I think he wins. I got the over one and a half and I got the over on the takedowns, just like you said. There's not really much else we can talk about. Uh, if you were going to hedge, yeah, you've got huge plus money on Nate. If you were going to bet it live and then you wait until the fifth round and then hit Nate when it's <laughs> plus 7,000. Like, I, I don't know. I think he gets beat up for the first going. If he's going to pull a miracle, have to be late. But I think Chemayev is going to have uh, gone to the drawing board, figured out what he did wrong. And, and of course, holding down Gilbert Burns way harder than holding down Nate Diaz. So the path of victory is there. It's laid out for him. I'm sure he wins. I ain't saying he's not going to. It's just like, I'm almost disappointed. I get it's all for camera and flash and he's got to sell pay-per-views because this is not a very good card. So I don't mean to like trash on him too bad, but uh, I don't know. I just, I'm getting rubbed the wrong way by Kamzat Chemaev. He hardly, he hardly speaks English. He knows like the words like smash, uh, kill your boy. Like those, those are the things that he knows how to say. So it's like they put a microphone in front of him and that, he basically just says that on loop because he's like, that's what's going to make me more money because I'm getting pay-per-view points for this card. Like... Uh, you know what though is like, I don't Jordan know Mumbles if he's all, like Jordan I don't know Mumbles if he's the so same much, way. Like, he was uh, cool. All of these fighters are kind of like that, right? Like, don't be fooled by what you hear when they actually have a microphone in front of them. What the most, you know, the most uh, the 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 part of the, the interviews that you should actually listen to, where they tend to be themselves, tend to be like the post-fight press conference. Um, because you know they have nothing to sell at that point until their next opponent. Like that's. That's when you see what the person is really like. Um, all the rest of it is all hype to make money. Don't hate the player, hate the game, as far as I'm concerned. All right, moving on down, we got uh, Lee Jingliang taking on Tony Elkakui Ferguson. Lee Jingliang is a minus 320 favorite. Ferguson could be had for plus 270. Is Ferguson done, Cody? Because you know me, I love, I'm a dog hunter. Um, obviously, this fight is at welterweight, which is first time in, I think, Aaron Bronstadter posted it was like 4,200 and something days since Tony's fought at 170. Um, coming off of that just vicious knockout loss, front kick head uh, knockout loss to, uh, to Michael Chandler. Leach is on a good run of his in his own right, but like, I don't know. I, I seems like a little bit of reason. Like Tony can total. I feel like Tony's pretty live in this fight. If he's got anything left in the tank, maybe, maybe some of his like you know lackluster performance was him getting a little bit old, not being able to cut down to 155 pounds. Um, the one thing I really do love on Prize Picks, it's got uh, Lee Jing Liang 1.5 takedowns, way under. Why, why would Li Jingliang, as the bigger guy, even choose? Like, I know that, you know, Charles Oliveira took him down three times. Benil Dariush took him down three this times. This is bias, yeah. Both of those guys knew they were just like, we've got the jujitsu to stop. Because Tony's got a great guard. People forget that. It's just like he's not, not really able to use it because he has matchups against world-class uh, jujitsu practitioners like that. G I don't think Li Jingliang shoots one time in this fight, so... I, that's my favorite prize pick this week is Li Jingliang under 1.5 takedowns. Um, from a betting perspective, uh, we'll see how weigh-ins are. I'm going to watch a little bit closely. 
I'm leaning towards Ferguson. So for the purpose of this show at plus 270, Ferguson will be my pick. I just think there's a little bit too much hype on Lee Jing Liang. I think he's a very, very average fighter. Tony Ferguson's a former champion, way past his prime, don't get me wrong, but uh, he's fighting the best of the best. That's why he's looking pretty horrible in these spots. This is a massive step down in the competition, and he's a ginormous underdog. I'm going to watch way and see what they look like next to each other. If there's like a massive size disparity, maybe I... Maybe I don't fire uh, at Tony Ferguson, but I think it's Dogger Pass. What about you? Yeah, that's the thing, right? So with Jing Liang Lee, if you look at traditionally how the most of his career plays out, it's like the Jake Matthews fight. He's the favorite, but he blows it. The less the Zaleski Dos Santos fight, he's supposed to lose. He's a plus one sixty dog. He wins. He's the favorite over Neil Magny. He loses. He's the he's the uh, underdog against Santiago Ponzinibbio. He's the underdog against Muslim Solikov. You bet Lee Jing Liang Lee. When he's the underdog, he's one of those dogs with, you know, a little bit of fight in him. They call him the leech. He's got that big power as a favorite. Yeah. The guy's not really matched up with anybody in the top 10. And for the most part, he's not really getting those wins. He's very average. He's very middling. I'm going to agree with pretty much everything you say there. The only thing is they're looking at while he's the bigger man at 170, Tony Ferguson can't take a punch anymore. 38 years old. And uh, yeah, I suppose if he's off of his back, he's got issues. What I would say with anybody is, can you name one fighter in the UFC that you're, that you would bet and you'd be happy with them being on their back? Nope. Nobody, nobody. You don't want anybody being on their back. I get guys throw up submissions. It's 2022. It's very difficult to catch a high end person off of your back. So Tony Ferguson's issue is his takedown defense ain't that good. And he's trying to fish for submissions off his back against Benil Dariush and Charles Oliveira. And guys that, uh, again, good wrestlers, but also just like very good jiu-jitsu. It's not, you know, ne necessarily capitalizing against those guys. As far as his chin goes, you've seen this guy get dropped lots. You've seen Edson Barbosa put him down. You've seen Anthony Pettis put him down. You've seen Lando Venata put him down. And then it, at no point did anybody knock him out until Justin Gaethje. At that point, it's a five-round repeated drubbing. Mm -hmm. I think that took something out of him for sure. Maybe it took out some durability. Certainly took some years off his life. The next two fight against Charles and Benil, you know, decisions – Gets beat up, but doesn't get it beat up too bad. And then Chandler boots him in the face. Like, people keep talking about Usman. Well, you know, people aren't the same after that, and you can't be the same after that. Like, like Ferguson just got a tenfold, man. He's got a front kick to the face. He was melted the whole way down to the ground. Just like just like cheese melting, bam, to the canvas. Holy shit, man. Is he going to be able to come back from that? But I say, yeah, dude. He's kind of a funky guy to begin with. Uh, he won the first round against Michael Chandler, and he was actually doing quite well for himself, and unfortunately got tagged with a front kick to the face uh, that I'm not even sure Michael Chandler necessarily meant to throw at his face. It was just like you bob and you weave. It happens. Against uh, Jing Liang Li, he's a big bomber. He's a brute. He'll come forward. He'll let his hands go. He might be able to clip Tony Ferguson. But as far as pace goes, it's Ferguson. Speed, Ferguson. Volume, Ferguson. If the fight does hit the ground... Ferguson's got better grappling. If he's the one that takes Jing Liang Li down, because we've seen Li off his back, not very good, nope. uh, would also be good for him. Not cutting to 55, like you said, is certainly going to help the guy out. And he's a massive underdog. He's so, got a four and a half I, inch reach advantage, shockingly as well, which is not what I would have expected. Yeah, and then honestly, I think if Michael Chandler went to 170, he beats Jing Langley. I think Benil Dariush beats him. I think Charles Oliveira beats him. I think Justin Gaethje beats him. And I think a vast majority of the guys that Tony Ferguson has beaten in his career, are they're all top five guys. They're all top ten guys. Even the fringe contenders he's fighting were still promising talent. Whereas Jing Lang Lee has been a career mid-carder. It's what he does. He rides the mid-card. Now they're instilling him as a three-to-one favorite against Ferguson. 
because of the narrative that Ferguson could be washed up. And maybe it's true, but uh, I think there's levels to it. If Ferguson's taking on a top world-class 170, maybe he's got some problems. If he's taking on a middle-of-the-road 170, yeah, I think uh, his back class at 55 should translate over 170. He should be okay. There hasn't been a whole lot of Jingliang lean fights where I'm like thoroughly impressed. It's mostly his opponent tires out and makes a mistake. Ferguson does not tire out, although he makes a ton of mistakes. He can overcome them because he's just got a, a world-class engine on him. So yeah, for as far as dogs coming through, I think Tony Ferguson has a, a solid shot here. And I'm actually just surprised by like the size of dog that he is. All right, Cody. Well, I lied to you earlier on because I said that I was going to wait until weigh-ins, but... I don't think I'm going to get better. The 270 is gone. There's a 266 that I'm going to hit in one second. Why don't I tee it up for you to the next fight while I make this selection? We've got Kevin Holland taking on Daniel Rodriguez. Dan uh, Kevin Holland is a minus 200 favorite. Daniel Rodriguez can be had for plus 170. Who do you got here, buddy? Yeah, so again, Daniel Rodriguez seems to be... This is a good fight. It really is. Like, in terms of it's not the biggest name, guys, this is a solid entertainment fight. So I will give UFC 279 credit for that one. But uh, Rodriguez maybe just doesn't have that, that you know, that reputation, that, that fanfare behind him. But the guy's pretty solid. What I'm noticing, though, is it's like it almost seems like he needs to rely on his opponent slowing down. He's got good volume. He's got good technical boxing. But a lot of the guys that he's fought tend to tire, right? I mean, Dwight Grant, not known for his cardio. Dwight Grant actually dropped him in that fight. Uh, but, you know, Mike Perry, Preston Parsons, his last one against Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee not looking terrible in the early going and then just completely gasses out. Kevin Lee obviously not even with the company anymore. So I think that Dan Rodriguez is a very talented individual, but I feel like he's getting good matchups against guys that tend to fade down the stretch and allow him to take over. With Kevin Holland coming down to 170 pounds, it feels like that's probably the weight class more natural for him uh, at 185 pounds. You know, talented, you know, picked up a couple of good, big victories, but everyone's taken him down. And when they do take him down, he's got no way back up. This is a guy that is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but of course you don't want to be on your back. And when Marvin Vittori is taking you down 11 times, you know, it's it's mad suspect. But to his credit, he's worked a lot on his wrestling. He's hung out with Johnny Hendricks over in Texas. He's got some quality rounds in. He's been spending a lot of time, not with a singlet on, but you know what I mean, in the wrestling room, making those improvements. Coming down to 170, I think he's going to be bigger and stronger, a lot better equipped at keeping the fight standing. And now he gets Rodriguez. He's not looking to take him down. So you got striker versus striker. I think Rodriguez has got the cleaner hands. I think Kevin Holland's probably got, you know, a little more power, uh, better output, better cardio. I think Kevin Holland pulls it away down the stretch, but I'm expecting a very competitive fight out of this one. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty competitive as well. I don't mind. I think this goes three rounds. Uh, so I don't really mind Kevin Holland over 50.5 significant strikes. If you go through like most of his numbers, they're not great. Um, like he doesn't get over all that often. A lot of the times it's because of finishes, but... Daniel Rodriguez is incredibly hittable and he keeps such a high pace that it's just like, I think Holland's going to be forced into a fight where he's going to have to at least put up like 80 to 90 significant strikes over three rounds. And I mean, I'm leaning towards the dog here in this spot, just strictly on, off the fact that it's like, we've seen D-Rod go out there and yeah. land 170 significant strikes against uh, Gabe Green. Like he's, he's broken. He broke a hundred, hundred green. Uh, yeah, of course. But like Kevin, Kevin Lee, you know, 120 significant strikes. Mike Perry, 129 significant strikes. None of these guys are like, you know, are able to maintain distance the way that Kevin Holland is. Kevin Holland obviously has a 81 inch reach. 
Um, he's going to make it a little bit more difficult, you know, to close the pocket and get into brawls and, and fight that style. But I think Holland getting over 50.5 seems very, very reasonable. Another spot where I'm leaning towards the dog, but I'm not going to pull the trigger yet, Cody. I'm going to watch the weigh-ins for this. But uh, picking Rodriguez for the purposes of this show. All right, we got Irina Aldana taking on Macy Chason. Aldana, minus 170 favorite. Chason could be half for plus 150. I already bet uh, Irina Aldana in this spot. I think on the feet, I don't think this is remotely competitive. Macy Chason did look like she put on a decent uh, ma major improvements in her wrestling last time out against Norma Dumont at 145 pounds. But the big if is this is at 135 pounds and I don't know if Chason's going to make it. And, or if she like her biggest issue has always been like round three, her cardio seems to fall off of a cliff. Um, and, you know, cutting those extra 10 pounds off of her frame is going to be problematic, especially with, uh, you know, a high pace fight especially down the stretch um i think aldana should be able to absolutely dominate uh on the on the feet and frankly i don't really rate chase on's wrestling all that all that highly to be perfectly honest like she did it against big norm but and that was a bit of a, uh, of a shocker for me to be perfectly honest but um no like boxing range i think aldana absolutely torches her so i took uh Aldana minus 161. That was my first bet of the week. Uh, who do you got here? Yeah, I got Aldana as well. I mean, this is women's MMA. So if, you know, Pat Mayo was here, he would tell you just take a flyer on the underdog. But I, I just, Macy Chase on when she does show up, she does not look all that bad. When she doesn't show up, not very good. She has fought her last number of fights at 145. So, of course, as you mentioned, we got to see how she's going to look on the skills back at Bantamweight. But she was on the Ultimate Fighter at 145. She kind of hit a bit of a rough patch in the UFC at 135 and kind of found, you know, new life at 145, so to speak. So her dropping down and things physically going to hurt her a little bit. As far as the fight goes itself, she seems a little bit not refined in any one area. The wrestling, not very good. As you mentioned, the striking, although she's got a little bit of power, uh, does not really set things up, seems to throw the same strikes over and over. And I don't really see a whole lot of improvements out of her. She beat Norma Dumont her last time out, split decision. But again, it wasn't like it was a runaway fight. It was pretty close. And it wasn't a very good fight either for that matter. But all the other ones, you know, Marion Renault, Shayna Young, decision, decision, decision. So I, I, I'm not really seeing that like big fight ending power. I'm not seeing the volume. I'm not seeing the wrestling. Of course, she just could fall on top of Irene Aldana in theory. Aldana, meanwhile, though, she's making a lot of improvements still. I know she's 34 years old, but it feels like she got a bit of a late start to MMA coming from a bit of a boxing background and is finally starting to tie things together. But I would say, you know, Bitsianis Kunikaya looks good. And then ironically enough, or funny enough, she's supposed to fight Jermaine Durandamy. And then Durandamy pulls out UFC 268. Then they book her against Aspen Ladd. And then uh, Aldana's one that pulls out. But Durandamy is a former 45er. Aspen Ladd's a 45er. Macy Chase on a 45er. It seems like Irene Aldana's either asking for these bigger girls so she'll have that speed advantage. But I mean, she's basically looking to fight featherweights at 135 pounds. So I think she's got better footwork better volume, better pace. She hasn't fought in, I believe, 14 months, which is a tad bit concerning, especially at 34 years old. But I, I think that, you know, she'll have uh, spent the time well in the gym, getting better, making those improvements, and uh, she should be able to beat Macy Chase on. But I couldn't say that I have a whole lot of faith or a whole lot of confidence in this one. Simple fact, it could get greasy real fast. 
Yeah, the takedowns are like if if Macy is able to just take her down and hold her down, use that bigger frame. That is a concern of mine. But I did actually, and it was actually moving towards it. It was moving up to like minus two hundred five or so. Like I capped it at like seventy thirty here. So I thought, I kind of thought that this line was gonna go back up to like minus two thirty three or so. And uh, there seems to be some uh, Macy Chase on love. So maybe I'm missing something. We will find out on Saturday. Moving on down, we've got. Ion Kutalaba taking on Johnny Walker, minus 210 Kutalaba, plus 180 for Walker. Who you got? Okay, so this is going back a little while. It's like I said, I'm not betting Johnny Walker. I think the guy's a fraud. I think it's only a matter of time before he gets exposed. And I just I don't I don't care for don't care for him at all. So we bank on him against Tiago Santos. We go heavy on Tiago Santos. And uh, it's a terrible fight, man. Like nothing happens. Who would have thought Thiago Santos versus Johnny Walker would produce such a dull affair? But yeah, nothing happens. He's been trained by John Kavanaugh now. Basically doesn't want to throw punches or kicks. Basically just wants to faint. John Kavanaugh ruined his style. But all the same, just didn't look like himself. Now I'm, I'm feeling good about my, even though it wasn't a very con uh, convincing victory for Thiago Santos, it's like, yeah, I'm making the right call. I'm fading this guy forever from now on out. So they give him Jamal Hill and I, this guy's going to get knocked out. He's going to get knocked out quick. Gets knocked out quick. Oh, I, I want to keep pounding this. I do not like Johnny Walker. He's got one win in his last five fights. But uh, this one actually feels like it's winnable for him. Ian Kudalaba just, he blows it for himself. He overexerts himself. His cardio sometimes is good, sometimes is bad. It looked like he was gearing up for a move down to 185 pounds, but... All the same, he just likes hanging out at light heavyweight where he's continuously undersized. And if you want to look for another guy that's currently on a bad stretch, it's Ion Kudalaba. The difference is Kudalaba does it to himself a lot of the time, right? Like the Dustin Jacoby fight, he got nine takedowns over Dustin Jacoby. But as a result, completely gassed himself out, got beat up, got lucky to end up with the draw. The Ryan Spann fight his last time out, he gets three takedowns in the first round, completely blows all of his energy, gasses himself out, and then gets choked out about two minutes and 20 seconds into the round. All bad news. So how does he beat Johnny Walker? Well, if he goes out there and takes Johnny Walker down, he's going to overexert himself and gas himself out. That will lead to Johnny Walker picking him off late in the fight. If he comes out with a conservative approach, and he's even if he just tries to keep it standing, range. yeah, right. He's way too small for the division. He does not cover distance well. Everything he throws is a huge overhand right out of nowhere. And though it could land, and if it does land, it probably does a tremendous amount of damage, maybe knocks Johnny Walker out. But Johnny Walker actually does do a pretty good job of, of uh, dictating the range. The thing with a, with a Jamal Hill is Jamal Hill is like six foot four. He's southpaw. He's got a long rangey, like 79 inch reach on him. Like that guy is going to hit you. Whereas Kudalaba, it's very predictable. It's like everything he throws is just going to be overhands. It's going to be overhands, looping hooks everything's wide out you'll be able to see that coming you'll be able to telegraph it and this is in the team mobile arena it's going to be the big cage so if kudalaba comes and he overexerts himself and he tires out he gets finished late if he comes in conservative he probably gets clipped early i just don't really know where he thrives best in this situation i'd love to say with the takedowns do the same thing nikita krylov did just ground this guy it's easy mm -hmm. right the thing is is he gets lots of takedowns against bad grapplers like dustin jacoby or I wouldn't say Ryan Spann's a bad grappler, but, you know, three takedowns, easy money early, and it's like, he gasses. He's got no positional control once he gets the fight to the ground. So I, I just, I, I can't go with him here. And I hate betting Johnny Walker. I truly, truly do. But he's plus 180 against Ian Kudalaba. Like, is what still... has Ian Kudalaba done for anybody recently? Yeah. Beat Devin Clark? Was that a, that was a thrilling one, wasn't he? He held him down effectively. Okay. Outside of that, what has he done exactly? 
Is Walker still training with John Kavanaugh in Ireland? I think so, only because after uh, last fight, yeah. everyone... As of September yeah. 1st, there was a picture of him. See, that is my major concern. Yes. Well, he staying married at, a chick down there. Staying, so that's, staying that's at that's range, happens. picking him apart and, and taking shots. Like, he should be able to... He's got a seven-inch reach advantage. He's got great, flashy techniques from distance. But, like, the biggest concern I saw with Johnny Walker... Well, one, I mean, let's not throw this out the window, like... Ian Kutalaba could just throw like an overhand right, clip him, yeah, and knock him could. out. Like we've seen Johnny Walker, like the, the Jamal Hill knockout was was pretty, pretty nasty. But then the Thiago Santos fight, it's just like, yeah, he could have just danced around the outside. And that's exactly what he did, but they like kind of ruined everything that was fun about this like highly athletic, super long, rangy, wild striker. And he just kind of became like a point fighter. It's like maybe that point fighter style works in this spot, but I don't know. You play with fire, I guess. I could see Eon knocking him out. This is a fight I'm super, super scared because both of these guys are uh, very, very untrustworthy. But I'll side with you ever so slightly with the underdog, Johnny Walker. He has all the tools to win this fight. Don't get subbed when you go to the ground you know ride it out maybe johnny walker becomes like a better live bet um if you see you know eon uh is able to take him down a few times and you start to see him slow down a little bit maybe maybe there could be some opportunity um in that respect i'll pick walker for the purposes of this show but i do not trust him with my money i i mean i trust tony ferguson with my money at this stage in his career but i will not touch johnny walker uh, moving on down, we have Hakeem Dewadu taking on Julian Juicy J. Arosa. Minus 200 for Dewadu, plus 180 for Arosa. I think Hakeem Dewadu's got like all of the skills, particularly on the feed. Just such a clean, technical striker in this fight. He's been a bit of a decision machine throughout his uh, UFC tenure. He's fighting some really tough guys, guys with great durability for the most part, like you know, this guy was knocking dudes out earlier on in his career. Um, obviously, his major blemish was that Danny Henry, uh, Danny Henry uh, guillotine choke loss. But like losing a Mozart, Evloev is is no no issue whatsoever. Mike Trezano last time out went to decision with him, but Trezano was. Now the, the the interesting thing about that fight is that uh, Trezon or sorry they threw like 120 significant strikes, which is something that we hadn't really seen from him in most of his fights before. Um, I actually did bet the under two and a half rounds. I, I got plus 120 at one of the books out there. I, I feel like that's the better way to go about this. Like I think that line at any sort of plus money is the way to go about this fight because. It's kind of pricing in more so the fact that Hakeem Dewadu usually goes to a decision more than Julian Arosa, as we like to say on this program, is a shit-eating wild man. And every single one of his fights becomes high tenacity and, uh, you know, bodies hit the floor, whether it's his or his opponents. Like, it's, it's craziness from start to finish. Obviously, he did go to decision last time out against Steve Ocho Peterson, but Peterson's incredibly durable, high-action fight. Um... I think Dewadu wins, but I like the under more um, for my money. What about you? 
Yeah, I got to go with Hakeem Duadu as well. At this point, there's not a whole lot of uh, decent Canadian fighters in the UFC, but Hakeem Duadu seems like he might be the the flag bearer, uh, one of one of our top guys. So yeah, I got to pull for him to get this victory. I'll admit, but the thing with Hakeem Duadu is, mean Hakeem has got nasty Muay Thai. He comes from that base. Was a, was a credible Muay Thai fighter before he transitioned over to MMA. So, of course, he's got the striking, but he's always been a low-output guy. And I mean, if you look out basically the history of his fights, everything is low-output. And finally, his last time out. So, I mean, again, if you look at him versus... Uh, uh, him versus Julio Arce, 55. Him versus Tehugov, 69. Him versus Mavzar Ivalov, 39. Those are all fights that went the distance. And then last time against against Mike Trezano, it's a career high 141. He looked much different in that fight. Mike Trezano was trying to walk him down, but he finally let his hands go. He was finishing his combinations with kicks. It finally seemed like he was starting to feel himself. And I mean, he went a decent fight with Mavzar Ivalov, got taken out nine times, but was winning striking exchanges. In the third round, was doing good for himself. I think it just causes you to have that confidence that, you know what, I can get up. I have good striking. I just need to let my hands go a little bit. And then it helped out that a road uh, that, uh, sorry, Michael Trezano is a, a forward pressured fighter. He likes to come forward. He likes to try to, you know, walk his opponents backwards. And in doing so, he's causing Hakeem to have to fight him back. And I thought he excelled in that spot with Julian Arosa. Listen, my luck hasn't been necessarily good lately, but Arosa is just another example. I loaded up against Arosa versus Steve Peterson. How does he lose to Steve Ocho Peterson? This is a layup if there's ever been a layup. And Arosa has a problem with fighting down to his opponent's level. If you are a solid opponent, Arosa gives you a go. If you are a low-level opponent, Arosa just gets into these swang and bang competitions where he's susceptible to getting hit. He's got great cardio, but the guy just throws so much, eventually starts to tire. And I thought he looked awful against Steve Peterson. One fight prior, he looks very solid. The next fight against Ocho Peterson, no good. And, and that's the crazy thing about MMA. You go from a career best win over Charles Jourdain in where cardio looked good, striking looked good, wrestling looked good, submission looked good, choked the guy out, huge. And in your very next fight, you struggle tooth and nail to win a split decision over Steve Peterson. The bottom line is none of these people are trustworthy. None of these people you can say, I'll bet the house on because you don't know what the state of mind is. You don't know what the injuries are. You don't know none of, none of that. And so with Julian Arosa... If you look at him at his worst, he is awful, man. No chin, no ability to take a punch, right? When you look at him at his best, solid, very, very solid. He's got all those, you know, X factors that you would want in a fighter. So what version of him is going to show up against Hakeem? I have no idea. But at minus 220, I feel like Hakeem's going to be one of my anchors this week. I think he's a better striker. Takedown defense is good enough to keep this fight standing. He's methodical. He's surgical. He's got way crisper technique than Julian Arosa, who relies on being, like you said, a shitting wild man. Very wild, very, uh, you know, forward, aggressive, uh, loopy with his strikes. This is stuff that you don't see coming. But I feel like against a guy like Hakeem Dewadu, he's going to see it coming, and he's just going to pick you apart. So I got Hakeem Dewadu either for like a late third-round stoppage or more than likely decision win. Interesting. All right, we got uh, Jailton Almeida taking on the pleasure man, Anton Turkali. Jailton Almeida is a minus... 800 favorite Turkali can be had for plus 500. This is a catchweight fight at 220 pounds. Jailton's kind of like, eh, I'll fight at 205 when, you know, when I have to fight a real opponent. But for now, let's just do like catchweights. I mean, he went out there against Parker Porter, took on a 266 pound heavyweight and absolutely just flatlined him. So this guy is the truth. You know, Turkali was on Contender Series. Watch that fight. I mean, watch that fight when it happened. It wasn't even that long ago. And obviously, he comes in 
to this spot. Well, he had like 11 takedowns, but it's like he did nothing when he got those takedowns. He's got a bunch of flashy finishes on the regional scene, but it's like Jailton Almeida seems like a certified problem. Like this guy looks like a future 205-pound you know, title contender, to be perfectly honest. Maybe even, I mean, that division's pretty weak. Like, who knows where this guy will be in, like, three years. Like, maybe maybe, maybe we're watching the champ rise up. I think he absolutely smashes him. The problem is, you know, well, I guess there, there's, some, there's some opportunity potentially in some of these props. Like, Jailton TKO is plus 300. Like, that, maybe that's worth a bit of a look. The, the submission prop is, is closer to evens. Um, in a few spots, and it's like minus 140 in another. Um, yeah, Jailton should absolutely smash, but he's minus 800. So what are you really going to do with that? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Listen, Jailton was supposed to fight Shmiel Abdurakimov on this yeah. fight, uh, on this card. And uh, Abdurakimov is like 260 pounds, right? So, yeah, I mean, he was going to take on a bonafide heavyweight. And now they've offered him a guy that just fought at 205 pounds. At a catch weight of 220. So yeah, this this works out extremely favorable for him, I think. As far as like stand-up goes, Anton's got bad stand-up. He doesn't move his head. He's a defensive liability. I think he Jelton could knock him out. Jelton, not a great striker, but he's got a lot of power on him. And I think that he could clip him with something and knock him out. If Jelton gets on top of Anton, it's gonna be a massive problem. I mean, his grappling is very top-notch. He, he's suffocating, he's got good submissions, big, strong, brute of a man. The only one thing, and again, you're only thinking of this because it's like he's an eight to one favorite. So how is he going to possibly blow it? It's like his takedown defense ain't great, I don't think. We did see him get taken down on contender series against uh, Nasruddin, Nasruddinov. Uh, then Nasruddinov kind of tires. Jelton got up and Jelton wrecked him after that. He's a legitimate talent. Dude's built like a G.I. Joe action figure. I think he's got a very talented and promising future. But uh, yeah, I mean, with Anton, maybe he does have a slight wrestling advantage. So if he was able to go out there, take Almeida down, hold him down for periods of time. Yeah, maybe that would be a good way of killing the clock. But I, I don't, again, I don't think Anton's cardio is necessarily world-class either. So even if he gets Almeida down a few times in the first round, maybe into the first couple rounds, he is going to fatigue. Once he fatigues, at some point, Almeida is going to clip him. Almeida is going to reverse position. Almeida is going to get takedown of his own. He is going to end up on top. And when he's on top, dude goes to work, right? Very, very solid. So, I mean, props to Anton for stepping up on short notice to take on a guy like Jelton Ameda as a massive underdog. Not many guys want to move up a weight class just because. Not many guys want to take a fight on short notice. Not many guys want to take on a fight where they're going to be an eight-to-one underdog. Not many guys want to do all those three things in their UFC debut. And not many people would do all of those things when you're undefeated, like what's you're, you're, you're risking everything here, but uh, yeah, I give him props and part of a fighter. Unfortunately, this seems like a little bit more than, uh, than he can handle at this current time. So I got all made There is definitely nothing left on the bone at that minus 800, but how could he in theory win this fight? Uh, yeah, I would CKO think inside plus, the distance inside the distance is like minus 275. Yeah. Um, do you have like a lean towards like TKO or submission, submission? or TKO? Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of leaving towards this over one and a half at my at, at plus one twenty five. Uh, simple fact that yeah, I mean, simple fact that you've got two bigger guys. That one's gonna look to wrestle, and the other one, you know, does his best work from top position. So if he ends up on top right away, I'm probably screwed. But if Anton can maybe get a takedown, if Anton can hold him up against the cage, if Anton can survive a little bit, yeah, then 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 maybe I'm gonna get some round time off. Also, I know it does sound crazy, but you obviously watched the Contender Series last night. Uh, Gianni the Greek, my boy. 
He takes this My over boy, one and a half on a fight that's sure to God not going very long. And these guys fight like they plan on fighting for about 35 seconds. They went for it. But the over one and a half still hits. So there's no rhyme or reason sometimes. It's just like these guys are tough. They're preparing for this fight. They're bigger guys. I think Anton's going to use his wrestling early to kind of kill some of the time on the clock, but eventually is going to get tired trying to muscle around the bigger guy and get finished. So, yeah, I got all my I got all my inside the distance. What you're saying by TKO makes sense, even though he's way more of a submission guy. But I just got a feeling that at plus 125, the over one and a half could be all right. Yeah, I see Turkali's done like some grappling tournaments and stuff. I just think like plus 300. I mean, if Almeida struggles to get the fight to the mats, then the submission doesn't really present itself. If Almeida, you know, just gets down there, tries to get submission, but Turkali's got the answers for it, I could see him just ground and pounding his head into oblivion. Um, yeah may add i guess Almeida. the other worry Almeida is ko i see plus 335s out there we'll see when more books open up yeah, if i can right. add that to the final ticket oh about that uh about that contender series yeah uh, he dropped that too late on the program so i wasn't actually able to uh to ftg so that saved me a little <laughs> bit of money um i mean it's, it's, it's he been even a, said himself he's been like, a historic this is run it's been stupid. a historic run on tuesday nights for for yours truly I've I even made some memes and stuff. It's gotten a little bit out of hand. And the thing is, is like, I actually I I love Johnny's presence on the program. Like, I actually people may think that I like dislike him. It's like no, I have nothing against him whatsoever. Um, you know, I've just been riding the other side of his historically bad run right now. So it's nothing like. I mean, it's kind of mean spirited. The only reason why people why he would even know that like I'm fading him is because like people are constantly like tagging him in some of my some of my tweets but uh it's all in good fun he always does say if you follow or fade hope you cash them yeah. don't trash them so it's like he leaves the door open for guys like me to like make memes and 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 fade his bets but like eventually regression is coming like he's gonna sweep one of these cards to close out the show and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna give a whole bunch back but that's the game we play. Um, but yeah, yeah it's listen, like, I don't, I don't, I don't like people think that like I hate Johnny or something. So I don't actually hate him whatsoever. I think he's fine. I think he's got an incredibly tough job. I wouldn't want to be in that position trying to break down and like being forced to post bets for fights that like he probably doesn't necessarily like a lot of these guys on contender series. It's like you don't actually have you know enough tape to really have a firm grasp of what to expect from them when they get in there and like he's put in a tough spot they're like all right we need bets for every single one of these fights like he's not allowed to take fights off and in because of that i don't take fights off but uh yeah it's it's not that i do yeah i don't look i'm not like the other people like throwing like you know casting you know negative vibes and stuff his way that's just the way i've been playing it the last three weeks and it's worked out but uh yeah that's all i really want to say about that no listen Leave man, johnny alone he's a great character he has a whole bunch to the to the to the broadcast i think it's kind of fun he's got the look he's got the sound the wise guys and all that stuff like i actually like johnny in the program i hope they have him for years to come that's it yeah, honestly, I, I like the guy as well. I mean, I can understand the position he's in. Do I want to bet all these contender series? Do I want to bet every single fight on every single UFC, on every single Bellator, on every single PFL, just set myself up for disaster? No, but that's what I do. I put the tweet out, right? Just because you don't like the card doesn't mean you don't put the tweet out. 
just because you're iffy on two fights doesn't mean you left them out. It's just the position we're in. So to be honest, I'm sure he's the way I am. If you have a bad night and people trash you, you don't really give a shit, right? I'm sure he doesn't even see it half the time, as I don't see it half the time. It's not like you're mailing it in. It's just, yeah, you're put in a position where you have to make picks all the time. Maybe you feel comfortable. Maybe you don't feel comfortable uh, comfortable about it. But yeah, I, I think Gianni's a good guy. And I think he's a good, he, he's good because it, the whole, the whole like uh, game has changed, right? When you and I got into it, it was all about the fights, right? Then it started to turn into picks and previews and gambling and we've been doing this for nine years now so none of that stuff existed before now every single broadcast is this is your parlay you need to go to this website every commercial on tv is a sports book every ad everywhere is a sports book everything that's sponsored hockey teams and football teams and basketball teams and it's like the whole world is just gambling 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 now unless that's what they're trying to push onto people so yeah i mean listen it's it's just a different landscape than it used to be he's in a thankless position but yeah i, I like the guy I, I would never cheer against anybody especially because people are always like i'm better than you he's better than him it's like nah, nah you're just trying to make a bet and beat a bookie right there's no us against them or us against each other no it is us against them it's not us against each other and uh, yeah, Gianni's one of the good guys. He also bets like every sport. He bets golf. He bets basketball. He bets hockey. Apparently his tennis picks are just absolute fire. So people look at the fact that, oh man, his contender series picks are down X amount of units. It's like, yeah, but like, what about his whole scope of, of the entirety of all the sports he's betting? So yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's funny. You're putting out the memes and I don't think, and I don't know who thinks you hate the guy, but there's a lot of shady people out there, like dark people out there there's i saw a video yeah, the other day they, they, the dude to, yeah, lights they... himself on fire and dies and the comment section was all like ha 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 that was so funny like it's a really dirty place out there the <laughs> internet is a scumbag place so yeah i mean if he hits a bunch of tickets people shit on him if he loses tickets people shit on him it's the internet man you can't take it to heart no exactly it's like when he wins they're like yeah but you lost your last four like that's just the way it is. He's in a bro. Really, trust, trust me from the position. Oh yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Hit, I you see. Hit 12, I see your comments. I go thirteen fight. I go through your comments from time to time and just like pick guys out that I'm like that guy's gonna be a problem. Block. That guy's gonna be a problem. Block. Because it's just like there's certain guys that I just don't have time for it anymore. I've gotten, as you said earlier, it's like I'm a dog dad now. I got I got too many times on my hands to have to deal with like. You know, faceless, nameless people, just straight up trolls on the internet that want to, all they want to do is tear you down, but they're never going to be the people there when you do something good. They're not going to be like, hey, you did a good job. You just want all of those people out of your life in general. You know what? I would always go by this like 10% system. When I was a kid, you know, I mean, my dad talked about it. I was like 10%, 10%. So essentially it's like, you're absolutely lucky if 90% of people like you and 10% don't, right? If you're in a room of people and there's 10 people in the room, nine of them like you, they like you, Paul Shaughnessy. One guy for no reason, he don't like you. He just don't like you. So now you're in a room with a hundred people. Well, there's 10 people there that they don't like you. Now you're in a room with a thousand people. There's a hundred people in this room that don't like you. So you get to a point where it's like, oh, you have 10,000 followers on YouTube. It's just like, okay, well, a thousand people don't like you. Now you're pushing 20,000. There's 2,000 people don't like you. They start tweeting you because they don't like you. Now, are you upset? That's like, man, these people are shitting on me. Or are you not grateful for the fact that 90% of people do like you? 
It's positive. Well, that's right. What politician? Life, what politician has ever had a ninety percent approval rating? No, it doesn't happen. Right. It's always like 65, 35 percent of people are telling you to hang yourself. It's just the way it is. So, yeah, I, I can't get down on. I'll be honest with you. I don't even check comments on Twitter anymore. The simple fact is like you read a couple of good ones. You get weird ones. You get people that assume they know your life as well. Like people hit me up in my DMs and be like, head up, dude. I know what you're going through. What are you talking about? Like just got married. I have a baby daughter uh, coming in like 12 days. I legitimately consider myself one of the luckiest people on the planet. But people will say, oh, you got the contender series top ticket wrong last night. You must be unhappy. You must be this. You must be that. Listen, just live your own life. I don't think anybody really cares at the end of the day. And uh, the people that are loyal, the people that are smart, the people that are trustworthy, they keep on it. But that's why you'll see there's people in this community that have been doing it for a while. And there's people that come and go, right? I got a lot of respect for the Dan Levies of the world. I got a lot of respect of guys that you go through the ups, you go through the downs, but the biggest thing is not I'm right. And this and that it's like engaging with people and putting out content and talking fights with your friends. Like, isn't that why we all do this? Right. So uh, frustrating. Sure. Cause like who wants to lose all the time, but even if I went on some great run and got it all back and people are making memes again, it's just like, I'm so over it. Like I just, I just don't care. Wow. Deep that, that that got deep there. I think it has yeah. to, it probably has to do with the fact that like the next the rest like of the five fights one two three six fights on the card are kind of a dumpster fire. So well let's let's rifle through these real quickly. We got Jamie Pickett taking on Dennis Tululin. Jamie Pickett a minus one thirty five favorite Tululin could be had for plus one fifteen. What's your take here, buddy? Yeah, to keep it real quick, I mean, again, I mean, Tulin seems very, very one-dimensional to me. He doesn't seem like he has ability to wrestle. He will come forward. He will throw hands, but he's got very lackluster takedown defense. You did see him take a short-notice debut in the UFC against... uh, Ali Scrub. Yeah, and like, Kriziev is like, I don't know, I would think he's a pretty decent uh, overall talent. So losing to him... Yeah, losing to him, not the end of the world, right? Second round submission, maybe you tired out. You were on short notice. Like, I want to give him a pass on that. But you look on this tape on the regional scene. He comes forward. He lets his hands go. He gets taken down a whole lot. Jamie Pickett, meanwhile, I mean, he's 500 in the UFC. For, I think he's one fight below 500. He needs this one to get there. But uh, he's middling, right? He's middle of the pack. What exactly does he do well? Is he an elite striker? No, no, not by long shot. Is he a good wrestler? No. Is he a good grappler? No. And what does he do? I don't know. But when you do look at both of his wins, it's controlling guys up against the cage, trying to fish for some takedowns. Him versus Leonardo Steropoli, he was the bigger guy. He used that 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 length. He leaned on him. He pressed him up against the cage. He got his two takedowns. He got the win. The fight with Joseph Holmes, Holmes may be a better striker, so what do you do? You lean on him. You tire him out. You peel him to the ground. Kyle Doukas, you're not going to take him down, right? Against Dennis, I, I would think that's the move. You, you don't want to stand with this guy. You don't want to get hit by his power. You need to lean on him, tire him out, and take him down. And then good news for him, Tulin has lackluster cardio, lackluster takedown defense. So like the, the two things that Pickett does okay happen to be the two things that Dennis don't do well. And for that reason, I would have to lean towards Pickett, even though he's a slight favorite. You could just chalk this one up to a dogger pass. I'm not the biggest Pickett guy. I think that style is going to yield results here. I'm gonna lean toward. I'm leaning towards Dennis to be perfectly honest. I think getting taken down twice by Ali Scrab. It's like yeah, Pickett would get taken down as many rounds as there were by Ali Scrab. Just just the same. It's like Ali Scrab is a is a dangerous guy. A guy that's gonna be. I think he's moving down to 170, but um, 
he's going to be around for, for a long time. The guy's super, super talented, obviously young and, you know, sky's the limit. And I thought Dennis like held himself pretty well in that, in that fight, at least when they were on the feet, was able to closely match significant strikes, seemed to have some good uh, ability to take damage. Him and uh, Strickland, I believe, put in a lot of time at the gym together getting ready. It's like, I'm not going to trust in Jamie Pickett to come out here and be a D1 college wrestler. So, and Pickett was one of those guys. It's like, I used to really think that, you know, he had great durability, but like his, he's had his chin checked a few times now. Uh, His grappling is definitely a liability against somebody with better BJJ. I'm not sure who has the better BJJ between the two of them. I don't even know if it's going to play out there, but uh, yeah, leaning towards the dog. So Dennis Chilulin for me, not betting it though. I did actually take Jamie Pickett slight, like a, on a couple smaller tickets uh, under 1.5 takedowns. Cause I kind of just thought that that number that they made on prize picks was indicative of him taking on Ali Scrab last time out. And it's like, I'm not sure Pickett's just going to come out here and be able to if he dominates pillar to post, take, gets three takedowns, just holds this guy down, wins it that way, you know, I'll, I'll take my L. But uh, I'm not convinced that that's just like a, a Joseph Holmes, like kind of tall. I don't think he really had too much. He has good grappling, but not exactly great wrestling. Uh, I think we'll see some improvements from Dennis. I thought he actually put up a valiant effort against a really, really uh, hot prospect last time out. So... Uh, under 1.5 takedowns for Jamie Pickett uh, for me. Moving on down, we've got, you know, the people's main event. Jake Collier taking on Beast Boy Chris Barnett. Minus 425 Collier. Or Collier, sorry. It's the French, you know? We we see IER, we think French, but they're American, so they... It's Collier. Um, but, uh, Barnett, it's plus 325. Are you betting Jake Collier at... Minus 425? That seems like a bad idea. But, like, uh, he, should he win on volume? Yes. Should Does he have better skills pretty much everywhere? Yes. Are both of these guys, like, actual middleweights that just said, you know what, I don't want to diet. I'm just going to be as fat as possible? Yes. Um, uh, Collier, like, you can't even – like, I took Chris Barnett when he took on Jean Vellante, who was a 205er who was way out of shape, came up to heavyweight – and then he landed that awesome, like, spinning back kick, of course. Uh, you, you would need that type of situation to happen for Chris Barnett, I think, to win this fight. He is very, very light on his feet for being so rotund. But minus 425, low-level heavyweight. We have seen, I mean, it was against Tom Aspinall, but we have seen Jake Collier knocked out in the first round with a big shot landing. I mean, it just screams like high variance, avoid, like dog or pass. I think Jake Collier is going to win. I think he's got all the tools. I think he absolutely dominates on volume, cardio, all of that good stuff. But I'll pick him to win. And I don't think I'm going to bet Barnett. But uh, I can't get to that minus 425. That's, that is risky business as far as I'm concerned. What about you? I actually like Collier quite a bit. Um, the problem is, is that again, like things that you shouldn't do, you shouldn't put women's MMA match on the top ticket because just a lot of variability. And uh, yeah, you should put a heavyweight fight, a middling heavyweight fight at that at the top ticket because 
it's the same thing. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of variables. There's a lot of red flags for the most part. It's like, do you want a ton of investment in it? Probably not. But yeah, I, I honestly don't mind them. Even at minus 425, I think this is his fight to win. First and foremost, Jake Collier, you mentioned that they, they're both middleweights that decide let's just fight at light heavyweight or at heavyweight. Collier's legitimately six foot three. You know what I mean? Whereas Barnett's five foot nine. He ain't even a middleweight dog. That guy is a lightweight. He's a lightweight that decided I feel like weighing 300 pounds. And as such, he can do a backflip. He can break dance a little bit. But Huggy Bear, I mean, he 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 not in it. He not in it as a competitive level. His whole regional scene career, he had fought a couple good guys and lost. And then he mostly fought 300-pound sumo guys in Japan. They're freak show fights. He himself weighed 330 at one point. And he's five foot nine. Just freak show fight stuff. Since he's come to the UFC, uh, he got, I mean, listen, the one win over Jean Vellante. Thankfully, I had him in that fight. Yeah, a spinning hook kick. The guy's a great athlete. He's a taekwondo black belt. He has some decent kicks. Unfortunately, there's not anything else to his game. No wrestling, no grappling. Uh, striking doesn't really have huge numbers. He can spin a crazy kick. He can throw a spinning back fist, but that's it. If you don't have any of that, the last thing I can need you to have is maybe heart. You don't got cardio, maybe he has heart. And then that was dispelled in the last fight with Martin Budai, where he got maybe he got hit in the balls. Didn't look like he got hit. But essentially, he looked at the ref, he looked at his corner and said, I don't want to fight no more. And not a good look, man. He's not a heavyweight. He's got no intangible to his game other than a puncher's chance move. He's going to get seriously outpaced. If he gets taken down, he's screwed. He got taken down once by Ben Rothwell. He got guillotine choked. Like a 40-year-old Ben Rothwell who hadn't fought in a long time. It's a bad look. It's a very bad look. Jake Collier, meanwhile, these are just totals he's put up in various fights. He landed 94 against Marcel Fortuna. He landed 123 against Jean Vellante. He landed 130 against Carlos Felipe and got robbed. He landed 93 his last time against Andre Arlovsky. Arguably, again, got robbed. Volume is is all day for him, mm-hmm. right? His ground game, much better. You saw when he took down Chase Sherman, like, takes him down, passes him out. Yeah, that was a surprise that he was able to Rear do it that choke. easily. I agree, because everybody tries to brawl with Chase Sherman. That's Everybody who fights Chase Sherman, it's like, let's stand up with him and, and chuck some bombs in the pocket. But it's like, yeah, I could do that, or I could just take the guy down. So for a big man, I think his cardio is pretty okay. His volume is pretty okay. His ground game is pretty okay. He's got a lot of good things going for him. Barnett, meanwhile, if he gets taken down, he's screwed. If he doesn't get taken down, he's still going to whiff on most of his punches. Volume is nowhere near. He has nowhere near the cardio, and he quit in his last fight because he got tired. None of that's good. But analysis and stats and this and that, all of it could go right out the window because all you need to know, Paul Shaughnessy, Jake Collier's debut, Vitor Miranda, lost. Next fight, Abreu wins. Next fight, Dongy Yang, lost. Uh-oh. Next fight, Uda wins. Next fight against Devin Clark, lost. Next fight against Marcelo Fortuna, wins. Next fight against Tom Aspinall, not lost. Next fight against John Vellante, win. Next loss against Carlos Felipe, lost. Next fight against Chase Sherman, win. Next fight against Andre Arlovsky, lost. Next fight, Chris Barnett. What do you think is going to happen, Paul? Man, has never lost back-to-back fights in the UFC. He's actually, strangely enough, never won back-to-back fights in the UFC. But that's not here nor there. It's time for a win. Jake Collier gets that win. I ain't going to put him on my top ticket because he's a middling heavyweight. But, yeah, likely he's on the second line. I mean, in fairness, Chris Barnett is uh, on a much shorter streak, but lost to Rothwell, win against Volante, lost to Budai, and and here we are. So somebody's streak, yeah, I mean, my, somebody's my rotational been going on streak for is getting eight broken. Years. True. Eight years, two, that streak. Eight years across, eight years across <laughs> three weight classes, and 
in like God. 12 fights. What a, what a strange career. But, you know, honestly, he should absolutely dominate this fight. I just, I just hate heavyweight chalk. I absolutely hate heavyweight chalk. Um, the one the thing that I thought was kind of interesting was, but I looked through and Beast Boy's never been submitted. But Collier by submission, what like it opened at plus 900. Um, he got submitted it, by Rothwell, it, didn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, he. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah, ten finger I, guillotine choke. I, 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 didn't I mean, I, I bet it and called that spot. I don't know why I just said that. Um, <laughs> yeah, call it. But yeah, it 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 already got beaten down from plus nine hundred to plus six fifty. So we'll see when other books open up their props. Maybe I'll maybe I'll jump aboard uh, a little sprinkle on that. Collier by submission. That would be the easiest path to victory. Like, don't hang out at range and let this guy throw a spinning tornado kick at your head. Like, that's that's how you lose this fight. You did a great job last time against Chase Sherman. Like, take this guy down. He he probably has nothing for you down there. And you have better cardio. Like, Collier's cardio and, like, his pace has been pretty good for, good for heavyweight uh, at the very least. So, yeah, we're both picking Collier. Maybe I'll get to uh, Collier sub prop if uh, I'll wait for other people to open up options. We got Big Norm taking on Danielle Wolf. Big Norm minus 425 favorite. Wolf can be had for plus 325. Wolf, you may not really remember her. She was on Contender Series, what, a couple seasons ago? Years, She's like yeah. got like a background in like boxing. Mm -hmm. Not a particularly great boxing record. And she got outstruck against uh, what Tanisha something or other. Yeah, and, like she got out outpaced, outstruck like eighty five to like fifty against her in her debut. They still gave her a spot. She kind of disappears off of the face of the earth for two full years. She's thirty eight years old already. This is a weird, weird spot. Like, how does she really end up? here to be perfectly honest like i don't really think she has much of a ground game whatsoever but like norma dumont hasn't done much other than like land like the odd takedown like one takedown in a fight it's kind of like her her ceiling she doesn't do it very often i would think that she probably goes to the takedowns early and often in this spot at range of course daniel wolf is very very large long reach all of that I think Big Norm wins minus 425 is is kind of scaring me off. Um, I just wish I really knew. I know like that. That's the scary thing is that Norma Dumont. We were talking about Macy's Chase on earlier on. Norma Dumont got taken down six times last time out against Macy Chase. So it's like mm. her wrestling is not all great mm. shakes, but like, ah. I mean, Danielle Wolf. Like she was, she was literally the girl that everyone was like mad at Dana White on Twitter after that episode of contender series just like why did you give her a job like she argue like not even arguably like most people scored that fight for her opponent and like she didn't look very good in in really any spot there her boxing record is for a boxing record not very impressive whatsoever don't really think she has much of a ground game or anything and she's 38 years old so it's like you're kind of at the end of the line very very strange that she's on the roster i'm picking big norm to win but uh yeah i'm kind of just weirded out by this whole situation what about you yeah listen she wasn't a very good pro boxer she was like 27 and 14 but she was a good amateur boxer that was like her big thing she was gonna go to the olympics and then didn't dan's got a soft spot for boxers so he has her on the show and 
Yeah, I didn't think she looked good at all. She's 38 years old, but uh, her birthday's tomorrow, Thursday, the September 8th. So she'd be 39 years old by the time that this fight actually rolls around. I, listen, if you were going to be some incredible boxer and that, that was your one characteristic, then it's like, okay, cool. Let's see what she's got. Uh, she makes her debut against Tanisha Tennant. She used two weapons. She's a jab and a straight right. That's it. Uh, which is just fine, right? Probably your two best punches, but she didn't look super comfortable in there, man. Her ability to get up off her back, not there. Ground game, soft. Cardio, soft. Punching power, non-existent. She looked terrible. But because she's 36 years old at the time, I think Dana was like, yeah, it's do or die. And, you know, I could sell a couple fights with this girl, maybe give her some intriguing matchups. So... I don't know. He signs her. And then she sat on the sidelines for two years injured. So now she's coming back uh, 39 years old volume, not there. She got easily appointed by 10 and she should have lost that fight. I'm not mm -hmm. sure how many people actually scored it for, but it was just like an abysmal performance. And it's two years ago. Now here comes a the theory of, well, two years off, maybe she's worked on all these different things and she's worked on utilizing her kicks and she's worked on her wrestling. Well, maybe so, but at 37 to 39, Certainly a, a, a long, you know, it's a little bit late to be picking up new skills and then applying those skills at the highest level. So all of that, I don't think uh, bodes too well. But here's like maybe my one thing about minus 425 and Norman Dumont that I don't like is that if Dumont just keeps the fight standing, she's not really that good of a striker herself. She's got low volume, right? Her versus Macy Chase, she lands 38. Her versus Aspen Ladd, which is a five-round fight, if you can believe that headline to card. 65 significant strikes landed over 25 minutes before that against Felicia Spencer 68. It's for the most part low. And I would think maybe Danielle Wolf, it just fights her in a boxing match. Maybe she touches her up with the jab. Maybe she mm -hmm. stays to the outside. Maybe she utilizes the big cages to land a couple more eye catching shots. Well, then it's for, it's up to Dumont to take the fight down and, we have seen her wrestle a little bit here and there, but for the record, the six takedowns against Macy Chase on would strongly suggest that she's not a very good wrestler. And yeah, then and last but not least, people largely forget the Megan Anderson fight exactly. in her debut, but you got punched once in the face she and took on she and got absolutely folded. She took that fight on very, very short notice, but we all kind up of thought, class, I get it. Well, not really up a weight class because yeah, yeah, right. she was never really able to make 135. She would always come <laughs> in right, at 139. That's, that's how she got the nickname Big Norm from Big me. Norm. Um, yeah, no, but that's like the, the one fight where she took on, you know, a proper featherweight who was like way, way taller, had a significant reach advantage. She got knocked out real fast. So, yeah, Big Norm, like, you know, we, I've been a supporter for a lot of her fights on here. Picked her up on uh, a couple dog shots, but minus 425 ain't it. Um, uh, yeah. I'm sure she'll be on, like, your PRP, but, like, you know, probably way down for being a 425. All right, moving on well, down. Well, that's that's exactly it. When you look at, well, who are your biggest guys? It's, oh, well, you're going to put Chimaev at the top because he's minus 1,800. That implies that he's just so safe and he's so good. It's like, okay, and then we've got a minus 800. It's like, okay, so them together not getting you anything. Now you add one of these minus 425s, whether it be Jake Collier, you're still not getting good value. Like That's why you sometimes have to take a fig lack for the simple fact that He's minus 200 as opposed to some of these guys that are minus 380. That's not adding anything, but that's chasing value. That was my fault. I'll try not to do that again, but whatever. It is what it is. In this case, it's like both minus 425s. You got middling heavyweights and you got women's MMA, which are the two most unpredictable categories. Well, like right? I think Collier, I feel safer about Collier 
than I do. About I feel about infinitely Dumont. better about him because I I'm very confident that he's going to go out and win. Whereas Dumont should win, but we get burned on these spots all the time. And if Pat Man was sitting in the room right you right now, he'd be giving you the look, man. He'd be yeah. giving you the look. It's true. It's true. Pat Pat would be giving me the look and saying like, "You just have to better." I'm like, "You didn't even watch Danielle Wolf's Contender Series fight, bro." Like he'd be like, "Just do it." Just do it. And then when she would come through, he'd be on Twitter going, I told you so. Even though he's not even watching the fight, just someone tags him on Twitter. And then he's just like, I knew. I knew. Um, you know what, though? He'll have Macy Chase on, right? And he'll have uh, Danielle Wolf, and he'll have this uh, Elise Reed, right? And, I mean, one of them ends up hitting. Half the time, two of them end up hitting. Like, I'd love to bash his system, but it's been, like, extremely profitable and I'm usually, over the long term. I'm usually a pretty big supporter of the system. We'll get to the Elise Reed fight in a minute. But first, we got uh, Alatang Ali taking on Chad Anneliger. Uh, Alatang Ali is a minus 165 favorite. Anneliger can be had for plus 145. Who you got here, buddy? Okay, so again, this is another tough one. Chad Anleger is a Canadian fighter. Starts off as everyone knows the story, right? He's two and five as a as a pro. He thinks about retiring. He thinks about this and that. He decides to get with a better gym and start pursuing his BJJ black belt. And then he just goes on a tremendous run, right? The thing is, when you look at the fight with Muin Gafarov on the contender series. He did win. It was a decent fight, but I mean, he gets taken down five times. He's slowing down massively throughout the course of the fight. It didn't seem like it was his best outing. No way Dana gives the guy a contract, but I think he's looking at the fact that he's 34 years old. He started off his career two and five. It was a big moment. It wasn't that good of a performance. Again, he did get taken down five times. But whatever, you give him the contract. Fair enough. So I, I made the mistake of betting him heavy against Jesse Strader. Wait, I, I say mistake not because it's like, oh, your guy won. You made money. It wasn't a mistake. But it was like, I was heavy on him, thinking he going to beat Jesse Strader wherever the, tykes, the fight takes place. And they'll address excellent cardio, decent technical boxing, solid enough wrestling, way more experienced than Jesse Strader. Jesse Strader is... Aaron Carter's boxing coach. Yeah. He's going to get messed up in the spot. No doubt about it. What I ended up getting was two rounds of Jesse Strader battering him around, landing the much bigger punches. Strader took him down four times, which is extremely problematic. And Ledger was maybe on his way to losing the fight. He could be down two rounds and then he ends up knocking him out in the third. So I felt lucky. I felt like we got bailed out of that spot, but he did not look like the same guy that he had normally looked like in prior fights. But then he gets on the microphone right after and he's like, oh man, you know, I'm known for my cardio. I do a lot of road work, but like he basically says he's banged up. He's like, I got a pile of injuries. I can't run road anymore. Uh, my cardio wasn't on point. That's why I look so bad in this fight. So at the time I was like, oh yeah, yeah, you want to give him a pass, right? Now he was sick and he was hurt and took the fight anyways. That's why he looked like shit. That's why he looked like shit. But really, he looked like shit against Jesse Strader, which is a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. Second of all, he's 35 years old. His body's not going to be getting any better. It's just going to be continuously getting more broken down. And so he's in a spot where I don't know that he's going to come into this fight at 100%. I don't know that his cardio is as good as it ever has. I don't know that his striking is all that good. And he got taken down four times by Jesse Strader, man. Like, these are massive, massive problems. 
With Alatang High Lee, man, well, like, I know he's kind of, like, hit and miss up and down, but, like, you can take away a little bit of something out of a lot of these fights. You know, his debut against Dana Batcarrell, three takedowns landed. His wrestling looks solid, right? The next fight is Ryan Bunway. Ryan Bunway actually has a bit of a wrestling background. Four takedowns landed against him. He's got the kind of wrestling that he will be able to go out there and take down Chan and Hunter if he feels like it. But beyond that, his durability is solid. You saw in the Casey Kinney fight, he absolutely got beat up to the body. Big shots landed. I mean, got styled upon. Stuck the course the whole time. His Gustavo Lopez fight, he should have won. Unfortunately, he got deducted a point, but that's what ended up causing it to be a draw. But I, again, I think there's moments on there. I think he's durable. I think his striking is okay. I think he's got a big wrestling advantage. Against Chad, he loses the fight if he gets if he falls behind the punch numbers. If he allows volume to get away from him, fine. But I think he's going to land the bigger shots, and I think he's going to force him to the ground. Do a little bit of grappling. Take advantage. I think still still think he is making some improvements. He's only 31 years old. So it's like he's in theory coming into the prime of his career. And he just blasted Kevin Kroom out of there in like 40 seconds on his last fight, uh, his last time out. I just feel like there's pass for him to get this thing done. And at minus 165, it's not great, but uh I just I'm not feeling the Canadian dog shot on this one. Yep, I'm with you as well. Um give me Alatang Hilly. Don't really have a don't really have anything to add to what you said there, to be perfectly honest. Moving on, we've got Melissa Martinez taking on Elise Reed. Minus 175, Melissa Martinez. Plus 150, Elise Reed. Went back and watched uh, uh, Melissa Martinez's last fight. And it was back in 2019 for Kambache against Desiree Yanez, who was 5-1 and one at the time. She's 5-4 and four now. Very, very, very close fight. Lots of standing cage control. Don't be, don't be confused by uh, topology. Although it was a title fight, it was not a five-round fight. Um, three rounds, um, split decision. Real, real close. Like I struggled to really, you know, have a firm answer for who flat out won that fight. It could have gone either way. Now, you know, she was booked against uh, Yanez again. Coronavirus scraps that. Then she gets signed by the UFC. She's supposed to take on Hannah Cyphers, and Hannah Cyphers pulls out. So it's been, like, what, three and a half years since this girl, mm-hmm. who is 25 years old, has, uh, has stepped inside of the, or have stepped inside the cage. Big question marks. Where is she at? What I did take away from... Her fight against Yanez is like her grappling didn't look great. She was taken down a few times. She was held up against the cage multiple times. She was able to fight out of it, but she's lucky that Elise Reed doesn't really have much of a, you know, a wrestling game whatsoever. It's she's pretty much a, you know, straight up striker. That all being said, Elise Reed's a half decent striker when she is able to stay upright, when she's not getting taken down by her opponents. So I'm leaning towards the underdog, Elise Reed here. I don't think I'm going to bet this. There's a lot of other spots on the card that I feel a lot more passionate about. But Elise Reed, plus 150. We'll see where the line goes over the course of the week. But it's like if this is a stand-up match between the two of them, I think it could be very, very 50-50. So in those situations, I'm always taking the underdog. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I feel like if you're going to take a dog or shot situation on one of the uh, the three lady bouts, then yeah, this would probably be it. I don't mind Elise Reed in that she's a decent point fight kickboxer, stays to the outside, you know, lands some decent shots. You obviously saw that in the Kenna fight. But yeah, her kryptonite is her takedown defense and her grappling. So at least they're matching her up with someone in Melissa Martinez that 
doesn't figure to do that. Also, Elise Reed's on short notice replacing Hannah Cyphers. And Hannah Cyphers pulled out of the fight about eight weeks ago. <laughs> so that's a full camp as far as I'm concerned. She's not going to be at any disadvantage, I don't mm -hmm. think. But yeah, th this one screams like a stay away for the most part as far as I'm concerned. When you look at Melissa Martinez, she does come from a kickboxing background. I think she was like the 2016 Pan American champion. Uh, she's also, well, I think she was like a silver medalist at maybe the Worlds. But the last three years, she hasn't been fighting MMA because she's gone back to kickboxing, right? So it's not oh, as if she hasn't done. Yeah, it's not as if she hasn't done anything in the last three years. She's 25 years old. She was 22 the last time we saw her. And now she spent three years doing kickboxing. So her coming over to the UFC, I would say that someone's going to take her down and put a beating on her. But they've done a fairly good job of matching her up against Elise Reed. That won't do that. So now what you're stuck with is Elise Reed's one, two at a time. It's more of like a karate style, which, which by the way, Melissa Martinez is also like highly decorated karate practitioner. It's going to be one and done versus like actual substance, I think. I think Martinez will use the leg kicks. I think she'll slow uh, Reed's movement down. Reed also seemed to mentally check out of her last fight. Like once she started getting taken down by Sam Hughes, it's like she just tired out, didn't want to be there, kind of just looked like she was looking for the door. And so I would think a 25-year-old making her return to MMA three years later, none of it bodes well, especially as a favorite. It's all narrative. All of that that I just said is all narrative. But like it's enough for me to be like, ah, I, I don't know that I'll take the shot on Elise Reed personally. So I'm leaning towards Melissa Martinez, but the price is not particularly good. It's probably more of a stay away fight, if anything. Where do you find all of these kickboxing fights? You can find them online. But yeah, most of it's like flying under the radar, like, you know, janky amateur fights or well, it's considered amateur kickboxing. But um, yeah, I mean, I've also found a thing on her what was it like i was i was kind of looking Decorated around kickboxer won a, won a gold medal at the 2016 pan-american championship silver medal at the world games 2017 representing mexico on the national kickboxing team okay yeah i mean i'm probably I'm, I'm definitely not betting that fight whatsoever now that you give I, me that would, extra little stay away that little extra bit away. of that little extra tidbit of information takes me off the ledge of considering a dog shot on Elias Reed. And finally, we got Darian Weeks taking on Johan Lines. Minus 125 Weeks plus 105 Lines. I bet Lines last time out, I felt really good. Really smart. Patting myself on the back in round one against, uh, against Gabe Green. And then, my God, did his cardio fall off of a cliff. I look at Darian Weeks. I don't think it's very pretty. I think, you know, the harder striker is Johan Lines. I think, you know, the more impactful strikes are going to happen from him. But I look at Darian Weeks. I look at his entire record. I look at, like, who he's fought. He's fought some half-decent fighters. You know, Brian Barberini is obviously not in his prime by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, he was able to at least hang in there with him. A lot of people thought that, I mean, some people actually scored that for Darian Weeks. It was... I thought that Brian Barberino won, but it was, it was close enough for, like, some debate. The one thing that I look at his record is just, like, the guy's never been knocked out. He has a doctor stoppage back in an amateur fight. But, I mean, I, I'm not confident in what I've seen from Lioness that he can fight three rounds. He may be up significantly in round uh, round one. But if he fights with that type of tenacity, he doesn't put Weeks away, Weeks is going to be coming in round three. So I'm leaning towards Darian Weeks. I'm going to look up 
what week's round three is because that could be extra spicy. Otherwise, I think it's just like a really good spot um, to bet live. You know, you're probably going to get a half decent underdog price. Lioness comes out hot, wins very clearly round one, and then weeks takes over later. Um, 10 to 1 is the only weeks round three that I see right now, which is not exactly. You know, not exactly getting the, the juices flowing for me, but there's only one book that actually has round props up right now. So we'll see where the, the week takes us with this. But yeah, I'm going to pick Darian Weeks strictly based on cardio, durability, the ability to fight 15 minutes. What about you? Yeah, honestly, if you want to make money on Johan Lioness, I'm going to bet against him, and then you can feel free to bet him and you'll make money. And I say that not because I'm cursed, it's because I can't hit a Johan Lioness fight to save my life. I used to go to his fights back in the day in TKO, and he's raw, man. Like Everything he throws, there's not a whole lot of technique there. I, I would go as far as to say he's basically a barroom brawler, and he will not get very far in the sport. Then he, he books a fight with Evan Cutts, CFFC. It's for the title. I'm very familiar with Evan Cutts, right? The guy's been around the block a few times. Johnny Bedford, protege, had a win over Regan Penn back in the day at, at Pro Elite. Uh, Evan Cutts is legit. It's also a five-round fight. So what do you think is going to happen? Johan Lainez is going to gas out. Johan Lainez is basically gassed. He, the, he's, this fight is not going to go well any minute now. Boom. He lands a big old shot. He has Cutts rocked. He just goes balls to the walls, unloads the clip. And then they stopped the fight. Had cuts not been stomped, had the referee not jumped in and stopped it, and I think it was maybe a bit of an early stoppage, Linus is done. He's done. Damn, didn't get that one. Then against Justin Burlinson on the contender series. Burlinson's very well-rounded, right? He's got skills everywhere. He's got a deep, deeper, much deeper record, more fights, better cardio, better technique. I load up on Burlinson. What does Johan Linus go do? Goes and he lands that beautiful left hook, knocks him out. Minute 30 in. So at this point, I'm like, shit, the guy's got huge power. You can't take that away from him. He's tough, not durable, but he, but he is tough, right? And I don't know. He trains with Patrick Cote and Fabio Holanda at uh, Brazilian Top Team Canada. He's working on his ground game. The guys in the gym say, you know, decent grappler, brown belt level guy, strong, physical, decent top game. I'll take him against Gabe Green. I'll take him against Gabe Green because Gabe is super hittable. And we know that Linus has the power. And so, yeah, all that lined up. He did hit him. Gabe Green hit the canvas. Gabe Green doesn't hit the canvas hurt. He doesn't get up and he's on wobbly legs. He hits the ground, he gets right back up, and he is dead set focused again. And Linus is tired. And Linus, they went to the ground for two seconds. Linus is tired. Gabe takes over. He's got bad cardio. It's always going to be a problem. As much power as the guy's got, in order to use that power, you're throwing big shots. When you throw big shots, it tires you out. His wrestling, his ground game, all that's out the window if he gets tired. So I just can't get behind the guy. And then now that I'm not going to bet him, I'm sure his big power is going to surface again. Like, it's always something stupid. But honestly, Darian Weeks against Brian Barberena, he got four takedowns. That's pretty admirable. But everybody takes Brian Barberena down. And Weeks couldn't hold him down, couldn't do anything with those takedowns. So... It was a little bit concerning, but it was a decent fight. His next fight against Ian Gary, though, that one was more concerning. He got a takedown, and his striking looked way off. Like, he had nothing for him standing, uh, largely moving around, not cutting off the ring, never let his hands go. Not a great performance. My thing is that Ian Gary's got good footwork, and Johan Lainez doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to dance around him, not the other way around. Lands those shots as you can. Use whatever reach you can muster up. Land that jab. Try to push a pace. Try to take him down. If for no other reason than tire him out. And once he gets, once he tires him out, he can take over. 
I like what you're saying with the third round prop as well. Not a bad move. My only worry would be if Johan Linus wins the first two and Weeks can't finish because I can see that happening as well. I can feel like Weeks is going to win the third round, but if he's down two rounds, he'll need to finish for certain and uh, hopefully it materializes. But yeah, I just think Linus will get very tired. Once he gets tired, he's going to make mistakes. Once he makes mistakes, even a guy like Darian Weeks should be able to capitalize. And then not to mention Darian Weeks um, was supposed to fight in France last weekend against Cedric Dumbe. And now he's getting Lohan, Johan Lioness. Like, this is a much better fight. You've had an extended training camp. Put it to good use. Take this guy down. Beat on him. Tire him out. Take him out of there. Yeah. I mean, even, yeah, as I said, the the plus 1,000 for weeks round three doesn't even get me all that excited. So I'm waiting. What's Lioness by KO? Just because, like, how else does the guy win, really? Lioness by KO. I mean, that that is literally his path to victory. Plus 235. But, I, but Weeks has never been knocked out. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't bet it. That's why I don't know the price. I didn't even look at it. But it's like, if he was going to win... It's probably, yeah. I, yeah. I had the lands, same thing land, last He lands week. a heavy, yeah. otherwise... Otherwise, he probably loses... Uh, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, your scenario where he, you know, lands the much better f- strikes the first two rounds. Maybe starts to slow down a little bit at the end of round two, but it's enough to still win that round. And then round three, Weeks is on him, but isn't able to put anything you know too damaging on him and he holds on for like a decision victory like that's definitely in play too um i don't know if I'm, just well, i don't yeah, know if johan i'm gonna get to it probably just a better right. a better live spot look for johan to like you know start wilting i mean it was very clear and obvious uh against gabe green like when he fell off of a cliff. It was just like if you jumped on. There were a lot of people who actually cashed in big on that. They had like plus one seventy fives on Gabe Green. Like like a minute into round two, it was just like, okay, Johan's fallen off an absolute cliff. Um, so that's something that is definitely in play. It sounded like you had something to say. No, yeah, Johan was actually getting ready to fight as well against uh, Miguel Beza. So yeah, he's got a full camp as well. It's not like he's going to have necessarily the cardio issue, but his whole career he's had cardio issues. So I don't really, it doesn't really bother me. He's had a full camp. But beyond that, Beza can't take a punch. Beza got a terrible chin. So if you're lying us, yeah, yeah, just get through the fire and land that one big shot before you, you'll knock him out before you get tired out. But against Weeks with more durability, yeah, no, certainly if he goes for that kill shot and it doesn't land, I think Weeks could uh, could take over. So I, I would say the best way of approaching this one is a live bet opportunity. I think Lioness wins the first round. And if Lioness knocks him out in the first round, clean your hands and get the hell out of here. But if Lioness does not knock him out in the first round, I think that's when the title starts to change and you'll get a much better plus money price take on Darian Weeks. Couldn't agree more. All right, on prize picks this week, I've got... Here's the plays that I have, and I've got them kind of sm- scattered around. I got Jamie Pickett, less than 1.5 takedowns. Uh, Lee Jingliang, less than 1.5 takedowns. Hamza Chamayev, more than 1.5 takedowns. Kevin Holland, uh, more than 50.5 significant strikes. Hakeem Dewadu, more than 89.5 on the fantasy score, because I feel like Juicy J's probably going to get finished. And if the, the if Dewadu shows up like he did against Trezano with 142 significant strikes, it's like he may still get there over the course of a decision. It really depends on, you know, Juicy J coming forward, throwing tons of strikes, making this a real action fight, which is what he usually does. He doesn't really just hang out at range, and he probably won't. He'll force Hakeem into a high-volatility fight. That's what, where my mind's at on that. 
Well, so I, I mean, Jailton, less than five minutes fight time. Don't even necessarily love that. He may not be able to get there. Um, yeah. Uh, one small ticket. I've got Norma Dumont over, or sorry, more than or over uh, 1.5 takedowns. I mean, that should be the path for her. I just don't know if Big Norm is going to just turn up and, and decide to wrestle. But she should against the boxer who probably doesn't have much of a ground game. Um, for my bets, I've got Arena Aldana, minus 161. Uh, Hakeem Dewadu and Arosa, under 2.5 rounds, plus 120. And Tony Elkakui Ferguson, plus 266. As always, at Paul Shag on Twitter, I will drop all of my picks and plays at some point Saturday morning. Give you plenty of time to uh, follow or fade. I don't really care. I'm, I'm looking to try to make money. I hope you lose if you fade me. But uh, if you fade me, uh, say la vie. Hit him with the PRP, kid. Speaking of that, and I'll jump right into it. But yeah, that's the best message I get. You get them out of time, right? You'll put out your picks and someone will be like, thanks for the fades. It's like, well, I mean, I picked every fight on the card. And a bad night would be going 6-6 six and six on 12 fights. So I went 6-6 six and six on 12 fights. That means... You're going six and six on twelve fights fading me. It's like, what, what do you what do you mean thanks for the fades? It'd be one thing if you put out one pick. If you put out one pick, then it'd be like, I'm gonna fade that one pick. But how are you supposed to fade all 12 guys? I don't know, it's so stupid. Anyways, doesn't matter. What does matter is I gotta get back in the wind column, and this is as good of a time as any. So yeah, we'll go with Chamaya. We're going to Tony Ferguson, dog number one. Kevin Holland, but you got me intrigued. I'm going to rewatch D Rodriguez because that, that one could be a little bit of a sneaky play. Uh Irene Aldana. Johnny Walker, dog number two. We're going to go Hakeem Dewadu. We're going to go Jelton Almeida, uh, Jamie Pickett, Jake Collier, Norma Dumont, uh, Alatang Haile. I'll take Melissa Martinez. 175 such a bad price. Uh, and Darian Weeks. So I guess I got two bonafide dogs. I mean, they're good dogs. Plus 270 on Kevin Ferguson and a plus 180 on Johnny Walker. Not uh, Kevin Ferguson. Darian Weeks. Uh, say Kevin Ferguson? My bad. Wrong uh, Ferguson, Tony Ferguson. Buddy. Ron for rest, rest in Ron. peace, Kevin Ferguson. Kimbo Slice, get my bread. Uh, yeah, that was the best, man. He was, I got a pair of his trunks downstairs, actually. He was like my OG YouTube back when oh, it was like, was everybody. Where do you watch? Where do you watch fights? I don't know. How do you find fights? Well, you can go to YouTube. Like, what, what fights are on YouTube? Some big dude beats guys up in the backyard. That's how it all started, man. It was like 2005, 2006. I miss that guy. Anyways, yes, no, you're right. It's uh, between Tony Ferguson plus one, plus 270. And uh, what's his name? Johnny Walker, plus 180. You got a couple decent dog selections there. There's a couple near even money plays like a Darian Winks at minus 125. But the biggest thing for me this week is figuring out who I'm pairing off with Chamayev at the top, right? Yeah, Irene got, Aldana at minus work. 170. She's got some value. I would say Hakeem Dewadu at minus 220. That's someone I'm going to be looking to go for. Collier, I like Collier, but minus 425, like how much does that add? And the rest of it, it ain't that good, man. It ain't that good at all. So yeah, you, you, I, yeah, I look at this card and I see an absolute minefield, to be perfectly honest. Like this is not last a week's card, card that I feel great about. No, nah, last week's card, that's how it was. A part of me was like, why am I tweeting this out? I'm tweeting this out so I can get shit on because it's like no one's hitting parlays on this card. It's a straight up greasy 50-50 with French guys that have never fought in the U. I don't know. That was a greasy card, right? But yeah, well, what am I supposed to do? Complain about it? No, I, I put picks out. If people want to follow it, or people want to look at it, if people want to hit like or hit retweet or they don't, whatever, that's fine. But like, 
yeah, I don't know, to, to, to get all mad at somebody? Like, I don't know. Gambling's an addiction, right? So smoking's an addiction, drinking's an addiction. And like when you tend to mess with people's addictions, they get very hostile very fast, right? And so that's the problem is I, I know for certain someone has tailed me and they've lost money and they're very upset about it. But, yeah, but it's of course them. you have to realize, yeah, well, that, that's what I don't understand. It's like if, on if you, you have, if you have this addiction, but why are you blaming everything on the guy that just posts pics for free on, on Twitter? It's like, for free. For if you free. want to and blame I, anybody else, blame yourself for following the guy on Twitter that you lost this week. It's just like if you really wanted to put some work into it, then you can blame yourself or be mad at yourself. Um, you know, if you do all of the tape study and, you know, handicap and do all of that stuff, then then you're mad at yourself. Like, I don't know. Like anytime yeah, yeah, yeah. I tail somebody on Twitter, it's like I will give them props when they win. I give them like, I I basically pretend it didn't happen because at the end of the day, I took the risk just following somebody else's bet without doing my own due diligence. So yeah, I don't know. People, people like to complain about everything. That's what it really comes down to. Well, you know why it's the day of, yeah, it was just the age we live in, right? It's 2022. You have access to the internet. Everyone has access to the internet. Everyone's trying to get a social media account going an Instagram and a TikTok. Everybody thinks they're more important than they are. Everyone wants exposure and likes and this and that i'm in no position to talk whatever i get paid to do a show all the time so i'm a whore to the system just like everybody else but i don't go bash people to online because someone got a bad pick i don't trash these fighters sending a fighter a message being like you blew my parlay. That's the low of the yeah, he's like he right? lost shit he on lost, me before you shit on the guy that fought his hard. he lost his win minutes. bonus like, like he got he lost half of his paycheck i, I think he's that. I don't think he's very concerned about your $5 bet, pal. Like, give your head a shake. Yeah, and like Bryce Mitchell's manager, I, I know the guy, right? Matt Weeb. And uh, he, he like, he shows messages. It's like one of his other clients lost and some guy sent him a message and he's like, yo, man, like you advocated for the guy and you, you manage him. So like, I lost 300 bucks. Like, is there any way you could send me back my $300? Cause like you said, you thought this guy was going to win. And like, this is your guy. Like, could, could you give me my money back? It's like, how delusional would you have to be to message someone and be like, can you pay me the money that I lost betting some guy? Like, I, I don't know. But again, the vast majority of people, they're good. That's, the That's thing. why I go back to the 90% thing. 90% of people are good people. You're in the chat that we got going. Like the side chat, everybody in there are good People, the internet, largely good people, but the 10% now have a voice. The 10% have and they're a egg they're avatar. Loud. You don't know their names. You don't know who they are. They have 46 followers, but they can call you whatever you want. And if you hit block, well, you're sensitive. And then they post about how like, this guy blocked me because he's sensitive. Like it's a moral <laughs> victory of some kind. Like, I don't know, dude, I don't know. But I just turned 31 not that long ago. And like, I'm so old. I'm maturing, I'm maturing. And if it sounds like I'm being a bitch ass this podcast, because I bet you it does. And I'm complaining a lot. I'm smoking no cigs in like two, three days. I'm quitting. I'm officially quitting, Paul. You were smoking cigs? Well, I smoke cigars. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. You the, know cold, the cold 45s. You love those things. Well, they were Captain Black, uh, Captain, Captain Black Blondes, Captain Black Blonde. They can't even sell them anymore because they're like, well, kids would be very appealed by the name Captain Black Blonde. It's like, I, I don't know how you've come to that conclusion, but fair. So now they sell them as sale classic and they're junk, man. They are garbage. You might get, it comes in a pack of eight, four of every eight smoke good. The other four, throw them out the window. Like they're 
just awful. Anyways, so yeah, again, I doubled down on the weed maybe, but that's to get over the nicotine. So I'm sweating. We got bright lights right here. I'm pissed off. This has got a card with a bunch of people I don't particularly care for. And we're talking about internet trolls. And uh, yeah, so normally I'm more of a chillax guy. So if, I, if I'm coming off as a baby back bitch, uh, I, it's because I'm acting like a baby back bitch right now. That, that would be the reason. He's neck fitting. But no, I, as, as you said, <laughs> I, think was, I think 90% isn't even fair. I think it's like 95% of people are absolutely great. And we give attention to like the 10 or the 5% that are like, they're very vocal. They're very out there. They're very aggressive in how they handle their things. They get all of the attention when 90% or, I mean, 75% of people have other things going on in their lives. They don't even care enough to, to post these types of things. Then there's plenty of other people who support always. Uh, we always really, you know, we thank you. We thank all of those people. And it's like the, we don't usually come on this program and talk about these types of things, but I've been noticing it a little bit more uh, recently, more so like in, yeah, people have been ruthless towards Cody Saftik. And, you know, we go back six months ago and he was the, you know, the, the Chris Curtis whisperer hitting like 150 to one parlays. And, you know, everyone gave their, their love and respect, but it's like, yeah, these things don't happen every single week. So if, if you know, I... now, we, now you've quit smoking, get back oh, yeah. on it. You know, maybe it was the cigarettes holding you down all this time or not the cigarettes, but the, uh, the captain blacks. Yeah, honestly, I know. I thought they helped because like you, you tape study for hours and it's like you need that break. You need that like, I'm just going to go outside for a smoke and then come back down. And so it helped break things up. But like, dude, I used to, I used to have sick cardio, man. Like, like go run for days, like box 10 rounds. And like, yeah, I, the last I, I figured, oh, OK, you know what? I'm going to lose uh, 10, 15 pounds. I've lost about seven in the last like three days, but like, dude, my workouts are trash, man. Like it just everything, your footwork's off, your timing's off, like you're breathing heavy. And it's like, why am I spending 16 bucks a pack yeah. smoking a pack a day for, for what benefit to just cook my own lungs? So, uh, no, as long as you quit smoking before the, the choir, age of buddy. 40. Yeah, no, listen, if you can quit before 40, your lungs will make a, Tremendous recovery. Tons of pro athletes, and I mean tons of pro athletes, smoke throughout the entire prime of their careers. And then when they're later on, you know, it would be a Joe Schilling, lots of baseball players. Uh, there's even that top one, whatever his name is, that Thai guy. He's about to make the UFC here pretty soon. He's on the road to the UFC. Uh, smokes before the fight and after the fight. Like, it's just kind of something people do. So I'm not advocating, like, you need to smoke. It's bad for you. Like, whatever. I had some good times, man. We partied. We smoked. We drank. You got a baby on the way too. Whatever. Like- yeah, right, right. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to I'm trying to tighten it all in, zone gotta, it all in. When so. you actually have that baby though, all the little, you know, some of the stressful moments, I hope you don't relapse. That's all I'm saying. Well, like anything, it's like, yeah, man, I can quit, right? Because I'm man, I got willpower. We're all men. We all got willpower. But uh addictions are quite difficult to kick. So it's like, yeah, I, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't tried a few times and, you know, you made it a month and then you crumble and you make it a couple of weeks and you crumble. But I think having the kid is the motivation to be like, I got to do it for them. It's not you're doing it for yourself. What do, what do I, what do I need great lung capacity for? I'm not fighting in the UFC. What do I, what do I need? You know, these great things for, um, it doesn't matter, but it's like, if I could look that kid in the eyes and be like, yo, I'm gonna do this for you quit. Then it's like, that's, that'd be, 
badass. If I was to then fold and be like, oh, I need to smoke, then it's like, well, then I really am a bitch ass. Cause I mean, that kid a promise, right? So kid ain't here yet. So I don't have him to quit now. I just figured it'd be better to start now. <laughs> and then when I'm really stressed two weeks from now, right? Got to get that, that, that early going. Of course, uh, if you wear the patch, I don't know but champix works but champix gives you depression right pat mayo is on champix i told him you're gonna get depressed he told me pat mayo doesn't suffer from depression took champix for a month boom smoking again why pat got depressed so like the whole the brain is a crazy is a crazy chemical balance um yeah whatever i mean letting letting people get to you i'm not i'm not just explaining it for uh me or you or anybody, I'm sure everybody else that does shows, you feel it too. You know, you go on a bad run and someone talks shit. I see a lot on Twitter, people like make a point of calling the person out, which is fine. Long-term, that's not going to work for you. You got to focus more on the positivity than the negativity. And so anyways, focusing on positivity, let's cash some tickets this week. It's a very difficult card. It's going to be another task as it usually is. The UFC is not doing me any favors. But uh, but what are we going to do? Sit here and cry about it? No, no, no. You put the tweets out, you put the pics out, you do the work. The universe will come around full circle eventually. So hopefully it's this Saturday. Hopefully it is this Saturday. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Safdie again, producer Megan, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Oh.